The following message is brought to you by Berean Bible Church and may be used and distributed free of charge. For more free audio, video, and text resources, be sure to visit www.bereanbiblechurch.org. Thank you. Good morning, Bereans. I want to start out with a warning this morning. You may experience cognitive dissonance this morning. I want you to try to hang on. (laughs) Do not shut me off. Do not tune me out. Listen to me. Give me a chance to explain myself. And then be a Berean. Okay? Don't, Don't reject it. Don't accept it. Study it. Find out for yourself. I want to talk to you this morning about the subject of biblical cosmology. Now, cosmology comes from the Greek cosmos. We're familiar with that. It means world. And logia, which means study. So cosmology deals with the study, the nature of our world. Now, we just finished a study on the afterlife. And we admitted in that study that, you know, there's a lot we don't know about the afterlife. But today I want to propose to you that there's a whole lot we don't even know about the world we live in. And that is sad Because the Bible teaches us a lot about the world we live in, we just reject it. Now let me begin by saying, we have been lied to our whole life. And I mean about everything. I'm talking about history, I'm talking about whatever, this is a lie. Listen, one of the main lies is about the nature of our earth, okay? This is not a picture. This is CGI, all right? NASA says this is CGI. Let me read you a quote from computer-generated image. They made it up on a computer, okay? Um, NASA's lead data visualizer and information designer... Robert Simmon says this, talking about the big blue marble, that picture. He said, it is photoshopped, but it has to be. Hopefully you'll understand why it has to be as we proceed through here this morning, okay? Again, this is, this is one of the main lies. There is no photos. Nobody has a photo of the Earth from space. It's all CGI. Again, NASA itself, all right, tells us that. Now, It seems to me that most people, and I I really think it is most people, are compliant. And they go along with whatever the mainstream tells them. Whoever's in the mainstream, the media, doctors, whoever. They just go along with it. All right? And I think that's demonstrated in the last couple years with the wearing of masks and getting shots and all this stuff. Simply because we were told to. That makes me not want to do it. Especially if the government tells me to do something. Okay? Some people just don't question the narrative. They just, okay, if that's what's told to me, I'll do it. And then there are others, often called dissidents or troublemakers, who question everything. If you're that way in a church, you're going to find the door pretty quick in most churches because they don't like to be questioned. This is the narrative, just buy it. All right? I think the majority of preterists fall into this camp of dissidents or troublemakers. Because we hold a doctrine that's vastly different from mainstream churchianity. 
we questioned the narrative. And we ended up being preterists and a lot of us being kicked out of our churches. Well, if it is your nature to question, it's not just theology that we question. It's everything. We want to know why. Why do we have to do that? Why is this this way? Who says that? Can you prove that? We ask those questions. We don't just go along. And this morning, I want to challenge you to question. If I do nothing else, just question what you have been taught about cosmology. Now, I want to look at the Scriptures and see what they say about cosmology. And I think you'll see it doesn't line up with what we're being told. So let's start at the beginning with the creation account. Jeremy read this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void. And darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness He called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. And God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the waters. Now, the word expanse here is translated a lot of different ways in different Bibles, but the Hebrew word here is rakia. Okay, get that, rakia. All right. Brown Driver Briggs, which is a lexicon, Hebrew lexicon, they define rakia this way. All right. Firmament of, well, extended surface, solid. That's weird. Solid. Expanse, firmament, 1B. Firmament of vault of heaven, supporting waters above. 1B1. Considered by Hebrews as solid and supporting waters above. So rakia has this idea of something solid. It's got to be solid if it supports waters, right? You know, you, you, hopefully you're thinking, rakia is solid? It holds back water? That seems strange. Strong's Hebrew Dictionary says of rakia, properly an expanse, that is the firmament, or apparently the visible arch of the sky. So Strong's does a good effort to try to dumb this down, okay? But let me ask you something. That, that's very different from Brown Driver Briggs, but how does a visible arch of the sky hold back water? I don't know. Paul H. Seeley, in a paper published in the Westminster Theological Journal titled The Firmament and the Waters Above, writes this, Standard Hebrew lexica and a number of modern biblical scholars have defined the rakia of Genesis 1, 6-8 as a solid dome over the earth. All right, these are Bible scholars. This is serious theology stuff. This is, you know, not you know, some cartoon book or whatever. Seeley goes on to say, the language of Genesis 1 suggests solidity. And no usage of rakia anywhere states or even implies that it was not a solid object. It was a solid object. The historical grammatical meaning of rakia in Genesis 1, 6-8 is very clearly a solid firmament. Now, the noun rakia is used 17 times in the Tanakh. And we're going to look at all of them and see if we can figure out what this is talking about. 
The root noun, rakia, the root of the noun rakia is the verb raka. And Strong says this of raka, a primitive root to pound the earth as a sign of passion. By analogy, to expand by hammering with the implication to overlay with thin sheets of metal. Beat, make broad, spread out, forth over, out into plate, stamp, stretch. Now this idea of you're expanding metal by hammering it. You're hammering it over a sub and you're making this metal plate, so to speak. Brown Driver Briggs says to beat, to stamp, beat out, spread out, stretch, to overlay, beat out for plating. Now we see this word raka in Job 37.18. Can you, like him, spread out the skies hard as a cast metal mirror? Now remember, what we just saw about rakia had the idea of solid. And notice here that the skies are hard as a cast metal mirror. That'd be solid, right? (laughs) The word spread out here is raka. Now, Elihu who is talking to Job here, his question shows us that the Hebrews considered the vault of heaven as a solid physical object. Notice how the complete Jewish Bible translates verse 6 of Genesis 1. God said, let there be a dome in the middle of the water. I believe that the Bible teaches that the rakia is a dome over a flat earth. Now, this picture here, this illustration, is from Logos Bible Software, okay? Major producer of Bible software, and this is how they depict it, okay? You have the dome there, you got the water above the firmament, you got water below the earth, you got God above the firmament, then you have the earth, and its dome is sitting on the earth. The only thing I don't like about this, this picture here is they got the dome pictured as black, and hopefully we're going to see that it's not black at all. Okay, it's crystalline. Now, biblical cosmology, what the Bible teaches is a flat earth with a dome over it. Harper's Bible Dictionary says this, The ancient Hebrews imagined the world as flat and round, covered by a great solid dome of the firmament, which was held up by mountain pillars. Okay, so that's Harper's Bible Dictionary. Let's continue to look at the verses that talk about the rakia. In Genesis 1, 7 and 8, it says, And God made the expanse. All these words expanse here are rakia. We already saw one, so this is four more. This gives us five uses of rakia. He made the expanse, and he separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse. And it was so. And God called the expanse heaven. And there was evening, and there was morning a second day. So the rakia separates the water above from the waters below, and it's called heaven. This is the Hebrew word, Shemayim. Psalm 148.4 says this, Praise Him, you highest heavens, and you waters above the heavens. So it's not just Genesis that talks about this water that are above the heavens. The Bible talks about this. Let's move on. Genesis 1.14-17 And God said, Let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night. And let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and for years. And let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens and give lights upon the earth. And it was so. All right, this gives us seven uses of rakia. This is the fourth day of creation. 
But we had day and night in day one. But we don't get lights until day four. How's that work? I guess God doesn't need lights to make light, right? <clears throat> Let's go on. Genesis 1, 14 and 17. And God made two great lights. The greater light to rule the day, the lesser light to rule the night, and the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth. All right. What do you see in this verse that contradicts modern cosmology? You see it? Two lights, okay. The lesser light to rule the night. That's what God says. What does science tell us? What does cosmology tell us? The, the, oh, the, the moon doesn't give light. It's a reflector, right? They tell us the moon is a rock that reflects sunlight. First of all, if the moon is a sphere, it would not reflect light like that. You take any sphere and try to shine a light on it, it doesn't do that, okay? The moon's a light. And here's something interesting, a test you can do just to kind of blow your mind. Go out at night when the moon's out and take one of those temperature gauges and shoot the moonlight and just say, okay, it's this degrees. Then shoot the shade. The shade will be warmer than the moonlight because the moonlight is cool. That could not be possible if it was reflecting light. The moon is a light. But we landed on it. Yeah. <laughs> Three times we're told that the lights, the sun, the moon, and the stars, they're in the rakia. They're in this dome. Genesis 1.20, and God said, Let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures, and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. So that's our ninth use in Genesis 1. And then I want you to see Psalm 19.1. This is... When you understand this, I think this verse gets a little more understanding for us. The heavens declare the glory of God. The sky above proclaims His handiwork. All right, sky here is a really bad translation because the word here is rakia. The rakia, the solid dome that's over the earth, proclaims the handiwork of God. The complete Jewish Bible says the heavens declare the glory of God. The dome of the sky speaks of the work of His hands. Believers, if the earth is flat and has a dome over it, with the sun, the moon, and the sky, stars in it, wouldn't that dome proclaim the handiwork of God? I mean, if you knew this is the environment we lived in, doesn't that proclaim His handiwork? How can anybody realize we're in a flat plain with a dome over us and think the Big Bang made that? Of course, that's Big Bang's all nonsense anyway, but I mean, this proclaims the handiwork of God. The sky above proclaims His handiwork. Now, Genesis 1, we saw that the stars are in the rakia, same word. I think that what David is referring to here is the dome that contains the stars which contain the zodiac. Zodiac means path or way. The zodiac is the stages of the sun's path through the heavens in 12 months. And I think that Psalm 19 is referring to what some have called the gospel in the stars. And we've been into that before. You can go back and look up a former message and we talk about that a little more. But God's glory is seen in the zodiac because the zodiac proclaims the plan of redemption. 
Now, you can't just look up and say, oh, wow, I see all that. No, somebody has to educate you on that. They have to teach. Just like you can't look at a book and understand what it's saying unless you know how to read. Somebody's got to teach you to read. Then you can figure it out, all right? Well, I believe that the Zodiac, which is in the Rakia, proclaims the gospel. Look at what Yahweh said to Abram. And we looked at this verse in our study of the afterlife, but we're going to focus on something different this morning. It says, and he brought him outside and he said, look toward heaven and number the stars, if you're able to number them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. Now we focused on so shall your offspring be, talking about deification, all right? But what I want to focus on here is God says to Abram, look to heaven and number the stars. The word number here is from the Hebrew safar, which means intensively to recount, that is to celebrate, to show forth, to speak, to talk, to tell. It comes from a root meaning a book or a scroll. Now in the Septuagint, the Greek translation, the word number here is arithmeo, which arithmeo means to reckon up, and it's much wider than number. It has the idea of count, enumerate, reckon. So what Yahweh is saying to Abraham is not number the stars, but recount or tell the stars. There's a story there. And Yahweh wanted Abram to take note of it. There was something in that story, something in those stars that Abraham believed, and the Bible says it was counted to him for righteousness. Now, did he say, God said you're going to have a bunch of kids. I believe that. Okay, you're righteous. He got righteous from believing he'd have a bunch of kids? No. The gospel is there, and he believed what God was saying, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Psalm 150, verse 1 says, Praise Yahweh. Praise God in His sanctuary. Praise Him in His mighty Heavens. This is the 11th use. The word mighty here is rakia. Now, we're going to go to Ezekiel 1 because the nature of the rakia, I think, is described here. And I think this is the clearest description of the rakia that we find in the Tanakh. Ezekiel 1 22 and 23. Over the heads of the living creatures, we're talking about the angels, there was the likeness of an expanse, rakia, shining like awe inspiring crystal. This crystal-like substructure spread out above their heads, and under the expanse, their wings were stretched out straight, one toward another, and each creature had two wings covering his body. So that's our 12th and 13th use. Let's move on to 25 and 26. And there came a voice from above the expanse over their heads. And when they stood still, they let down their wings, and above the expanse, over their heads, there was the likeness of a throne in appearance like sapphire. And seated above the likeness of the throne was the likeness of a human appearance. Now, we talked about this last week. We got this thick, man-like human appearance on this throne. The throne mentioned is sitting on the rakia, and the rakia looks like crystal. I think it's apparent that the Rocky is solid and certainly not mere atmosphere or space or some phenomenal language. And there came a voice from above the expanse. Who is above the Rakia? It's Yahweh, right? Look at Isaiah 40:22. It is he who sits above the circle of the earth, and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers. Okay? 
This is the 16th use here in Ezekiel 10.1. He says, Then I looked, and behold, on the expanse that was over the heads of the cherubim, there appeared above them something like a sapphire in appearance like a throne. So Yahweh's throne is above the rakia. It's above that dome. What color is sapphire? I gave you a hint. It's blue. Okay, it's amazing. You got this. You ever look up at the sky and it's blue and you wonder, how does the sky get blue? Hmm, I don't know. Revelation 4, 6 says, And before the throne, there was, as it were, a sea of glass. Now, I want you to think about this. We got the throne, you got a sea of glass, like crystal. And around the throne, each side of the throne, are four living creatures full of eyes front and behind. So, remember this sea of glass that's like crystal. We'll come back to this. But Daniel 12.3, Daniel says, And those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. Again, the word sky here, this is the 17th use. The word sky here is rakia. So, I don't know about you, but I get the idea that the rakia that the Bible talks about is a solid, crystal-like dome that covers the earth. Now, Let's look at what the writers of the Septuagint had to say about this. The Septuagint translates the word rakia as stereoma. And Thayer's definition of stereoma is that which has been made firm. Again, we get this idea of firmness, solid. The firmament, the arch of the sky, which is in early times was thought to be solid. Yes, it was. It was thought to be solid. All right, Brenton Septuagint says this in Genesis 1.6, And God said, Let there be a firmament in the midst of the water. And this is the Greek word, stereoma. Now, the stereoma is only used in the New Testament one time. Paul uses that in Colossians 2.5, and he says this, For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. So, again, we have this idea of something firm, When you think of the sky, do you think of it as being firm? I don't. But the Bible seems to. Okay? Look at Genesis 7-11. In the 600th year of Noah's life, the second month, on the 17th day of the month, on the day all the fountains of the deep burst forth and the windows of heaven were open. Now, are windows here a metaphor? Well, the Hebrew word for window is aruba, which Strong says means a lattice, by implication, a window. And then they say a dovecot. Now, that doesn't mean anything to any of us, but dovecot is like pigeonholes, is the idea. So they're talking about a window. This word is used nine times in the Tanakh. Sometimes it's metaphoric. Sometimes it's literal. But remember what we've already seen, that there are waters above the rakia. Okay, in the expanse here, we got waters that were above and below the expanse. So, we think of the sky or heavens as air, but mm, how do you have windows in air? But you could have windows in the rakia if it's a solid surface, right? Now, the word for rain is very different than the word for windows, just in case you're trying to put those two together, okay? Here's what I know for sure. The Bible never says the earth is a sphere, but it does say it's a circle. Isaiah 40, 22, it is he who sits above the circle of the earth. 
Now, the Hebrew word for circle here is kug. And it means circle. That's deep. Write that down. Okay. <laughs> it means vault, horizon, circuit, or compass. Brown Driver Briggs' definition is circle, circuit, compass. This word is only used two other places in the Tanakh. Let's look at them. Job 22.14 Thick clouds veil him so that he does not see, and he walks on the vault or circle of heaven. So again, we see Yahweh, he's above this dome, he's, he's up there, alright? So the earth is circular. Look at Proverbs 9.27 When he established the heavens, I was there. When he drew a circle on the face of the deep. So the earth is circular, but it's not a spinning ball. Okay? Isaiah 40.22 says this, the last part, who stretches out the heavens like a curtain, doesn't sound like air, and spreads them like a tent to dwell in. So the word tent here is ohel, and it means a tent. So this sounds like you got this tent spread out over the earth, which would make sense. It's like a dome. It covers the whole earth. Now, if the Bible wanted to say the earth is a ball, it could have done that, okay? Because it does use the word for ball. Isaiah 22, 18, and whirl around you and around and throw you like a ball into a wide land. The Hebrew word for ball here is dur. The word is used two other places in the Tanakh. This is not the word used in Isaiah 40, 22 for circle. Let me tell you something. The Bible knows the difference between a circle and a ball, Okay? Some people don't, but the Bible does. Look at Proverbs 8, 26-29. Before He had made the earth with its fields, or the first of the dust of the world, when He established the heavens, I was there. When He drew a circle on the face of the deep, when He made the skies above, when He made firm the skies above, when He established the fountains of the deep. Again, we have this idea of firmness of the skies. This is the word firm here is amats, which means, according to Brown Driver Briggs, to be strong, alert, courageous, brave, stout, bold, solid, hard. So again, we get this idea of firmness of the skies. Proverbs 8, the end verses here say, When he assigned to the sea its limit, so that the waters might not transgress his command, when he marked out the foundations of the earth. Now, how did Yahweh limit the seas? I used to think, well, this is the beach, right? I mean, you got beaches and the seas are limited. They don't go above. But do the oceans ever go above the sea, uh, the beaches? Yeah, sure they do. But look at this. This is the Arctic ice wall. It's 200 feet high. Now, most people think Antarctica is a continent, right? Because that's what they tell us. Antarctica is not a continent. This is the outer edge of our flat earth. This, this thing circles the whole earth and holds everything in. Alright? Hang on to that. Now, some people want to argue and they say, well, the Jews didn't believe, they, they didn't believe in a flat earth with a dome. The Jews never believed that. Well, hopefully you see, the Bible does teach that. Okay? And I know one Jew that did believe it. You say, who's that Jew? You ever heard of Josephus? Okay. Flavius Josephus, and of the Antiquities of the Jews, Book 1, Chapter 1, in the Constitution of the World and the Disposition of the Elements, writes this. And this, on the second day, he placed the heaven over the whole world and separated it from the other parts. 
and he determined it should stand by itself. He also placed a crystalline firmament around it and put it together in a manner agreeable to the earth. So Josephus gets this understanding of a crystalline firmament over top of the earth. I wonder where he got that idea from. I don't know, maybe he read his Bible, huh? I think that most of you are familiar with the pseudepigraphal work of First Enoch. It's considered intertestamental literature or a second temple literature. Jeff and I have talked about it. We've preached messages on Enoch, so I hope you're familiar with that. But there are sections in First Enoch that describe our natural world. And the narrator, sometimes he sounds like a 2nd century B.C. Carl Sagan explaining the heavens and the earth to the admiring masses. And the Enochian cosmology is a flat earth. Now the angel Uriel guided Enoch through most of his travels, and they made several trips to the ends of the earth. How do you do that on a globe? Let's get to the end of this thing. It's got to end somewhere, right? The end of the earth where the dome of the heaven came down to the surface. For instance, Enoch says in 1 Enoch 33, 1-2, I went to the extreme ends of the earth and saw their huge beasts, with different, each different from the other and different from birds also, differing from one another in appearance, beauty and voice. And to the east of those beasts, I saw the ultimate ends of the earth, which rests on the heaven. Now, that resting, that doesn't make a lot of sense, but R.H. Charles, who translates Enoch, says this, I saw the ultimate ends of the earth whereon the heavens rest. In other words, I got to the very end and I see where the heaven comes down and rests on the earth. That makes sense because the dome rests on the earth. Again, this is from Logos. This is biblical cosmology. I think that the majority of Bible scholars would agree with me that biblical cosmology is a flat earth with a dome. Because hopefully you see the Bible teaches that. Now Michael Heiser, you're all familiar with Heiser, Hebrew scholar, he believes that biblical cosmology is a flat earth with a dome over it. Okay? He teaches that. No problem. But Heiser mocks those who hold to a flat, theory, a flat earth theory today. Okay? Heiser says this, The honest truth is that we discard biblical cosmology what? We discard what the Bible says? Why would we do that? We discard it as reality because of science. Oh, so science trumps the Bible. What world is that? Now, Heiser believes in inspiration, so I, not, I don't understand this. He says, not because of genre. That's not why we reject it. Watch this. We can judge what the Bible says. You're going to sit in judgment on Scripture? We can judge what it says about earthly and off-planet cosmology because the tools of science can test those things. I really hope this bothers you, okay? Because Heiser is saying we can discard biblical cosmology because of science. Okay. We can judge the Bible based on the tools of science. Let me tell you something. If you don't get anything else, I say get this, okay? Science cannot test cosmology. If you know what science is, it has nothing to do with cosmology. All right, mark that down, put it somewhere. Modern cosmology 
comes from faulty conclusions based on observations, not from science. Now, John Walton, you all know who Walton is? Walton's written some good books, but him and his son Harvey Walton published a book in 2019 titled Demons and Spirits in Biblical Theology. Subtitle was Reading the Bible, the Biblical Text in its Cultural and Literal Context. And in the book, Walton says this. He says, science, he says, since we cannot accept what the Bible says about cosmology. In other words, the Bible says we can't accept it. Solid sky, dome over the earth, all that stuff. We can't accept that, right? Since we can't accept that as being real, we don't have to accept what the Bible says about demons or Satan is real either. Does that trouble anybody? Huh? We don't have to accept what the Bible says because the Bible's wrong on cosmology, so we can pick out anything else we want it to be wrong about and throw that out. So Heiser says science proves the Bible wrong on cosmology. Let me ask you this. What else does science prove the Bible wrong on? Well, to Walton, it's demons. There's no demons, there's no devil because I don't like them, and so since the Bible's wrong there, it's wrong here, get rid of it. Let me ask you something, people. What else? Yeah, what else are we going to throw out? Let me ask you this. Believers, in the inspiration of Scripture, do we really want to go down that road? I believe that many of us have had our view of Scripture tainted by so-called science. Which in reality is pseudoscience. But there's a worship today. Science are the new priests today. And if they say something, oh boy, that's true, okay? Because they know the truth. Science simply means knowledge. But when you hear the word science today, what comes to your mind? You know, we've heard the word science a lot lately, right? We've been told, science proves it. Follow the science. And if you don't believe them, what are you? You're a science denier. What? What science? They say wear a mask, the science. There's no science at all behind that. None. Exactly the opposite. There's just a test that came out and said masks do absolutely nothing. They can't stop a germ. They can't stop a virus. They can't do any of that. It's all show. But you're a science denier if you come against it. And if you were on, you know, Facebook or Twitter, they just took you off if you anything against that. People use the word science to lend credence to whatever they're claiming. They say, science proves it. That's it. Oh, we can't, can't argue with that. Because deep down, I think people equate science with being truth. What is science? Well, let me tell you that a couple months ago, I wouldn't have been able to answer that correctly. I don't know that I still can. But Dr. Jordan Grant has been patiently working with me to help me understand science. Science is kind of Jordan's thing. I mean, he, he's all over Facebook and the social media trying to straighten people out on what science is so you can have a proper understanding of things. And if you really want to dig into this idea of what is science, go and look up Jordan's message, his conference message from last year, entitled Science, Pseudoscience, and Germ Theory of Disease. And believe me, I've gone through that several times, and I'm scratching my head, and I'm calling Jordan, and we're going back and forth on this. What is science? Science is a method. 
And science as a method only deals with cause and effect relationships in the natural world. In natural science, hypothesis must be verified scientifically to, re- to be regarded as scientific theory. A hypothesis is a proposed explanation or a phenomenon. Now, what most people call science is really pseudoscience. And pseudoscience is a collection of beliefs or practices mistakenly regarded as being based on the scientific method. So we can know if something is actually scientific or not if it's gone through the scientific method. And if it hasn't gone through that method, it's not science. So let me ask you this. What scientific method has cosmology gone through? When Heiser says the honest truth is we can discard biblical cosmology as reality because of science, he's talking about pseudoscience, not science. Let me say this again. Science cannot test cosmology. Now, Dr. Jordan Grant, in an attempt to help me understand science and dumb it down so I could actually grasp it, okay, he wrote this, and I want to read what he had to say. He says, Natural science is a method to try and determine the cause of an observed natural phenomenon. That's it. So you must have an observed phenomenon. You've got to see something happening in nature, a phenomenon, and then, okay, something happening. Not just a static object, etc., etc., and then you must postulate what may cause this. And then you seek to prove that by varying, manipulating the very thing you think is causing it. In other words, your potential cause must exist in reality, and it must be able to be varied and manipulated. So this immediately gets rid of a lot of fields claiming science, since A, they have no observed phenomena, or B, they have no way of varying or manipulating any potential cause of something they do observe, like things in the sky. I love this. He says, creation science is an oxymoron. Now, if you understand science, you know why it's an oxymoron. Okay? He goes on to say, because no one observed any natural phenomena there. Anybody observed that? No. No, Why not? You weren't there. The angels observed it, according to Job. All right? And watch. He says, even if someone was there, what are they going to vary or manipulate to prove the cause of that creation? They surely aren't going to vary or manipulate the Creator. So that's an easy way to really hone down on lots of claims of science. Just ask, what is the observed phenomena? If they can't get that step, they're done. Now some will claim artifacts and old books and history are observed phenomena. That's nonsense. It has to be something occurring, not a static object. Now after you ask that, If they can show you observed phenomenon, we ask, okay, so what is the hypothesis? In other words, what is the meaning of your presumed cause? All right, you see this happening. This is the cause. What's causing that? That's your next step. What's causing this phenomenon? Is the thing real? In other words, a lot of people say this is causing this phenomena, but you can't even prove the thing you're saying is real. So how are you going to use that? He says, does the potential cause exist? If so, show it. Then you move to experiment. So you see, we've already gone through a few steps before we even get to experimenting, where one varies the potential cause, the independent variable, 
to try and and prove the hypothesis. That's pretty much it. He says, very logical. We all think this way when we troubleshoot things. One must control all the variables except one to truly see if it and it alone may be the cause. If there are multiple possible causes at once, then we leave the realm of science and we enter the correlation and statistics realm. Statistics is not science, neither is math for obvious reasons. Now, from my, what I can understand, that helped me out. That's a pretty good thing. There's scientific method. Things have to go through the method. Now, i got to quote this idiot after quoting Jordan, but this other guy who's not too smart, Albert Einstein. <laughs> and really, I, I'd say that, you know, you joke because we've been taught this guy's a genius. This guy's not a genius. Not at all. Okay, listen to what Einstein says. Imagination is more important than knowledge. Think on that for a minute. Why? Because knowledge is limited. Yeah, that's true. Whereas imagination embraces the entire world, stimulating progress, giving birth to evolution. It is, strictly speaking, a real factor in scientific research. What's the factor? Imagination! Jordan, you messed up. You forgot about this and you're just... Description of science, where does imagination come in there? Now here's the thing, here's the sad, sad thing about this all. This is modern cosmology. It is imagination. It is not science, it's people make stuff up. Now despite this, many continue to think that what scientists tell us is always true and reliable. All right? Scientific analysis is assumed to be balanced and objective, and conclusions are presumed to be tested and proven. Indeed, many Christians appear to believe that what science says is on par with, I dare say, superior to what Yahweh says. Because the Bible says this, but science disagrees, then they say, oh, see, the Bible's wrong. God's wrong. That's what they're saying. Because science... Because that's the the church and the high priesthood today is science. And people are bowing before science. If science says it, it must be right. And they've been saying it for a long, long time to us. So, hey, they must be right. Right? Many think that what NASA says is science. You know what NASA stands for? Not a space agency. That, believe me, that's what it stands for. Now, it's interesting that NASA's logo is a forked tongue. Here's the thing, people. They stick stuff in our face all the time because they think you people are so dumb. We'll show you how foolish you. We've got this forked tongue here. All right, here's what NASA tells us. Now, you think about this and see how you feel about it. They tell us that the Earth is a globe, which the Bible says it's not, and it's spinning at 1,000 miles per hour at the equator. Now, for us here in Virginia Beach, it'd be 800 miles an hour, okay, because we're up from the equator, so we're, we're a little slower, okay? So you're only going 800 miles an hour, all right? That's why your face gets that way when you go outside, okay, because you're moving so fast, all right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, 1,000 miles an hour at the equator, while it's going 67,000 miles an hour circling the sun. 
spiraling at 500,000 miles an hour around the Milky Way, while the entire galaxy travels at 670 million miles an hour through the universe. You feel it, right? We're moving. Listen, all the while, Polaris, the North Star, is always over the North Pole. That's amazing. All this spinning, all this traveling, Polaris hasn't moved yet in billions and billions of years, okay? Listen, listen, people, this is, this is what you have to understand. None of this, none of it has ever been proven, and it can't be proven. This is imagination. How did they clock this? How did they clock this movement? How did they come up with a thousand? How did they come up with all this crazy stuff? Uh, it's just, it's frustrating. It's all fantasy. It's all imagination. Listen to me. NASA's budget for 2023, $25.4 billion. That is $69 million a day. You can make up a lot of crap for $69 million a day. You can make a lot of videos. You can make a lot of moon landings. You can, you know, you know that NASA on their property has a pool, a huge pool, because they do a lot of their spacewalks underwater. And this has been proved. You see the little bubble going up, and you go, why is that bubble going up when you're on the moon? Oh, that's dust dirt. They try to come up with some stupid explanation, all right? But you can make up a lot of CGI photos. You can do a lot of crazy stuff for $69 million a day. People, NASA is a money laundering operation that came into being for the whole purpose of teaching us that there's a ball that we're on that's spinning. That's their whole purpose. Now, is there any evidence that the Earth is spinning or moving about the sun? No. So why do we believe it? Because we're told that. Listen, there can't be any evidence. Heliocentricity is a theory, just like evolution. Now, I know some people are thinking, well, everyone knows the earth is moving. Really? You had to ask somebody for proof, and what do they tell you? Well, science has proven it. No, they have not. They've tried. They haven't. Has science proven that the earth revolves around the sun? No. It has not, and it cannot. Let me say it again. Science cannot test cosmology. It can't. Neville Thomas Jones, who's a physicist, Ph.D. in physics, he says this, We feel no motion of the world on which we all live. Furthermore, no experiment in all of physics has ever demonstrated the world moves around the sun or that it rotates on an axis. That's not me saying that. That's a physicist. This is his area. No evidence, people. No experiments ever done that. They've tried. Uh, Mickelson and Morley did an experiment. It's one of the most important and famous experiments in the history of physics. It was performed in 1887 by Albert Mickelson and Edward Morley at what's now uh, Case Western Reserve University. And the experiment was designed to measure the change of the speed in light due to the assumed motion of the Earth through space when measured on the Earth's surface. All right, so their test was a complete failure. I mean, they did a test. We're going to prove the Earth's moving. It, it didn't, nothing. It proved it was stationary. 
They couldn't find any evidence that the earth was moving at all. This sent physicists into a tizzy. Something was radically wrong here. So Mickelson tried experiment after experiment for the rest of his life and never found any evidence that the earth is moving. Others have tried various experiments, like Sagnac experiment. It was also called Aries failure. Why? Because Aries set out to prove movement, and it didn't, so he called, the experiment's called Aries failure. He failed to do what he wanted to do. They all failed. All these tests, they're never taught in universities, because so it goes against the narrative. So the supposed people who are supposed to be in the know, like Christian creationists, they're ignorant of the evidence of flat earth. All experiments have proven the earth is stationary. Now, here's the thing. Let's get down to our level here. Are you aware that there are simple tests that you and I can do that demonstrate there is no curve? Do you realize that? I've done some of these tests. Here's the big blue marble. Okay, that's what they call it. That's what they call the guy who made it up. NASA says the earth is 25,000 miles around its circumference. Okay? Got that? They tell us the Earth's curvature is approximately 8 inches per mile squared. So any, if it's a ball, any point you're on that ball, you move, you're going down a curve. Okay? So wherever you're starting from, you're going down a curve. So the drop of the curve would be 8 inches for a mile. You with me so far? <laughs> 2 miles would be 8 inches times 2 squared, which would be 4 times 8, which would be 32 inches. Three miles, three times three is nine, nine times eight, 72 inches. So three miles, we have a six-foot drop. So you go out in the water, any spot, because water, I know, the globe tells See, they tell us we have bendy water, and water bends around this ball while it's spinning at 1,000 miles an hour. Now, you put water in anything, and you tip that thing, whatever, the water always keeps a level surface. It's just people. It's just what water does. It doesn't bend around a ball. Yeah, it's science. Science proves it. Water doesn't bend, okay? It just doesn't bend. So just go out. And today, there's so many people doing these laser experiments. You know, they go out and they sh they're on a beach and they shoot across to another area and people see the laser and they're six, feet away, or six miles away and they're like, there's no way you should see that laser. Something's wrong. From Silver Beach in Benton Harbor, Michigan, Across Lake Michigan to Chicago is 57 miles. So let's do the math. 57 squared, 57 times 57, 3,249, times 8, 25,992 inches, which is 2,166 feet below the curve. 2,166 feet. The tallest building in Chicago is Willis Tower. Willis Tower is 1,729 feet. So how is it possible that on a clear day you can see the city of Chicago from Benton Harbor, Michigan? The top of Willis Tower should be 437 feet below the horizon, the very top of the tower. Yet you can see it. Oh, I love it when they show this on the news and they go, this is called a super mirage. Because they know you shouldn't be able to see this. So they say, it's a super mirage. I'm like, you're super full of it. You're making stuff up. But people buy it. They're like, oh, yeah, that's right, a super mirage. Look into it. It's just dumb. People, it's there. Like I said, this is an experiment you can do. 
you know, get a laser. You know, people say, well, I know when a boat goes out, it disappears, and that's because of the curve. No, it's because your eyes have a vanishing. of uh, They can only see so far. Or you stand there on the beach, you watch the boat, it disappears. Then get a high-powered camera, and you watch, whoop, the boat will come right back up on top. What happened? Curve this. Oh, I know. Cameras make the curve disappear. Yeah. Super camera flattening the curve. All right? Yeah. yeah, they make up all kinds of you know, excuses, but it's just it's simple, people. You can do it. All right, so the, the Bible teaches a flat earth with a dome over it. Okay, that's biblical. Scholars recognize this, but then they say, well, science just proves the Bible. People, there's no science. Again, when it comes to cosmology, there's just imagination. Now, let me share with you a few things, apart from Scripture, that should make us scratch our heads and go, hmm, that's interesting. Why is that? How is that? Okay? But see, we've been trained not to think. We've been trained not to question things. So therefore, we just buy into whatever we're told. This is Admiral Byrd. He's one of the most highly decorated officers in the history of the United States Navy. Go Navy. (laughs) Admiral Byrd was the youngest admiral in the history of the Navy. This guy, if I could, I guess, try to fig- describe who, who he was, he's Indiana Jones on steroids. I mean, really, this is this guy. He was going to find the ends of the earth, and I think he did, all right? In 1928, he led an expedition to Antarctica that lasted two years. You can read about it. It's fascinating. At one point, he got stuck 100 miles inland, and the weather changed, and the cabin he was in was, he was breathing carbon monoxide, and he was sick, and they're trying to reach him, and they can't go because it's amazing. You see them pulling their boats up. They got planes on the boats, and they're unloading these planes, and they're building, putting them together, cooking the wings on, putting the engines on. Two years he's out there, okay? And during that time, at the age of 41, he was promoted to admiral. His second Arctic expedition ran from 1933 to 1935, and his third from 1939 to 1940. In 1945, he went back to Antarctica. But what's interesting here is this is his fourth trip. It wasn't an expedition. It was a military operation. And it was called Operation High Jump. High Jump. We've got to get up on that wall, Okay. During this expedition, this military operation, he commanded an entire aircraft carrier group that included 13 support ships. This is military. Admiral Byrd led 4,700 men to Antarctica for reasons that are still shrouded in mystery. Why did he do that? Well, he went back to Antarctica for Operation Deep Freeze in 1955 through 56. The mission was completed. He supposedly returned home, and he died in 1957. He wasn't an old, sick guy, okay? I mean, he's been through some stuff, but a year after he gets off this thing, he's dead. Well, dead men don't talk, okay? The mission to Antarctica suddenly stopped. That was it. No other expeditions, military or otherwise, were conducted on Antarctica ever. Ever. But in 1959, 12 nations got together and they signed the Antarctic Treaty. 
The Antarctic Treaty went into effect in 1961, and since then, 41 more nations have signed the treaty for a total of 53 nations. This treaty bans any country from doing basically anything in Antarctica. Why would we do that? Now, the interior of Antarctica is off-limits, and there's no revisions until 2041. You can take tours to the outer islands. They have a couple spots that they will take tours to. But there's a hidden line enforced by the military. You won't be able to cross it. The interior is protected. I've watched videos of guys flying planes in there. Watch this. They scramble jets, military jets, and they come alongside. Turn around. Turn around. We'll shoot you down. And the guy had to turn his plane around. Same thing with a boat. You get in a boat. You get too close. Military ships come out. Turn it around, buddy. You can't be here. You don't have to protect me from going to a block of ice. I'm not that fond of that anyway, okay? But the interior is protected. You can't go there. So let me ask you this. What happened? Looking at this flat earth model, the white there that you see around the outside, that's Antarctica. That's not a continent. It surrounds the whole flat earth. It's a wall, a couple hundred feet high, that keeps everything in. The dome rests on that. So let me ask you this, thinking people. Why ban everybody from going to a place that gets 100 degrees below zero, that has no vegetation, no animal life, a place that is nothing but snow and ice? Why would you ban travel there? Aliens. <laughs> Aliens. Okay, maybe, now I'm speculating here, but maybe Admiral Byrd found the edge. Maybe Admiral Byrd, I know that he went at least a couple hundred miles in, okay? Maybe he saw the dome. Maybe he got there and said, oh, my word. What is this thing? You know, and it's amazing when you think that God made this, because normally, how are men ever going to know what? We'd never know this. Except the Bible told us this. How would anybody ever know this? But here's the interesting thing. Almost every civilization believed in a flat earth with a dome over it. Every civilization. Why would they think that? They didn't see it. They weren't there. But normally no one would ever know because no one's going to travel across that ice to try to find this thing. But he found it. I think that he might have found the dome because of what happened after that. Okay? In 1958, NASA's formed. They say, oh boy, we've got to cover this thing up. Let's push this globe, okay? Here's what's really fascinating. And this is all, you're going to look all this stuff up, okay, online. You won't have any problem. Shortly after that, after Bird gets back, the United States and Russia start launching high-altitude nuclear missiles into the atmosphere. Into the atmosphere. Why? Well, maybe, and again, I'm speculating, Maybe Admiral Byrd found the edge of the dome, and they're trying to find its height and see if they could penetrate it. Can we get out of this thing? Is what's going on? They didn't bust through, okay? <laughs> they did not get through, all right? Now, these, here's what's fascinating. Again, this in-your-face stuff. These tests that the U.S. did were named Operation Dominic, and within that was Operation Fishbowl in 1962. You know what Dominic means? 
Dominic means of the Lord. So they were doing tests on the fishbowl of the Lord. Again, right in your face, shooting nukes up there, trying to blast this thing because they figured out they can't get through it. How high is it? They're trying to figure all this stuff out. The fishbowl of the Lord. It's crazy. They're shooting nukes into the Rakia. But guess what? God made this thing nuke-proof. Okay? Here's another fascinating thing. You know what the missiles were called? They were shooting at it. Anybody know? Thor missiles. You know who Thor is, right? (laughs) Thor is the god with the big hammer, and he's going to smash through the dome. Nope, he didn't do it. Yahweh still reigns supreme, okay? Let's talk about the moon landing, okay? Let's talk about this, because most people believe we landed on the moon, all right? I've been to D.C., to the Space Museum, and I stood next to this thing. I stood 10 feet away from it, and I shook my head thinking, how dumb are people that they believe this thing? It looks like a homeschool project. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I, I apologize. That's, that's rude to homeschoolers. It looks like a public school project, okay? I don't want to insult homeschoolers, all right? Because homeschoolers would even do a better job than this thing. But, I mean, it is just ridiculous. And listen to me, people. 1969. And they sat in the White House and talked to the moon. How'd they do that? When they took off, they had a long string with a can. And, you know, how, how did they talk to the moon in 1969? I have trouble with reception at my house because I live in a rural area. Today, I have trouble. How did they send video, video from the moon what kind of router, what kind of setup did they have that, that you know, the moon is 222,000 miles away, they say. Who took that video? Who, yes, who took I love it when the guy's coming down the ladder and they're like, who's this guy taking a picture? He'd have to be the first. But again, we don't think. We're trained not to think. In 1969, it's ridiculous. In a documentary, and you can look this documentary up, it's called Astronauts Gone Wild. And it's, <laughs> it's produced by Bart Winfield Sibrill. And in it, he asked each of the astronauts to put their hand on a Bible and swear that they've been to the moon. Not one of them would do it. Not one of them. They got angry. They got upset. They would not do it. Why? Well, maybe as an astronaut, they knew the reality of the dome, and they know God had to make that. I'm not messing with God. Look at this picture, and tell me what's wrong with it. This is the moon, supposedly. You see anything that would be problematic to your thinking? First of all, if you can believe that hunk of junk is a rocket, I mean, look at it. You ever seen a rocket launch from anywhere that looked anything like that? That landed like that, and then it took off. And it flew 222,000 miles back to Earth. But what else is wrong from the picture? Where are the stars? (laughs) Where are the stars? They didn't think that far ahead. (sighs) Look at this gold tinfoil. 
Space is a vacuum. But this tinfoil flew through the vacuum. You could poke your finger through that. I'm serious. Go up there and go to the Space Museum and stand there and look at this. And if you can believe this went to the moon and back, I got land, I want to tell you, as soon as the tide goes out. Okay? Because you are, you are gullible, okay? Anybody know what this is? It's a vacuum chamber, okay? And what you do is you hook a pump to that hose and you pump all the air out of it and it holds a vacuum. And you see that's a thick little box there because, you know, you got to be strong to support a vacuum. Now, NASA teaches that space is a near-perfect vacuum, right? There's no matter in it. There's no air in it. It's a vacuum. And they say space is a vacuum because it doesn't have no air. It has no atmosphere. The word vacuum comes from the Latin vacus, which means empty. There's nothing there. So let me ask you this. What keeps Earth's atmosphere and space's vacuum separate? Have you ever heard the saying, nature abhors a vacuum? Anybody ever heard that? Who said that? Anybody know? No, Aristotle. Aristotle coined that phrase, but it's true. Nature abhors a vacuum. If I had that vacuum chamber, let's go back to my vacuum chamber, and it gets crack in it or a hole in it of any kind, what happens? It neutralizes it, sucks the atmosphere in, boom, it's no longer a vacuum. But, see, we have this magic ball, and then we have this atmosphere that's there, and then we have space, where's a vacuum, but you see that it says no solid barrier? <laughs> because you would have to have a solid barrier to keep atmosphere on one side and vacuum on the other. But somehow, miraculously, I don't understand how people believe this stuff, but now, oh, you know, we got this atmosphere, and then you step over here and vacuum. And just things just float around in it. No resistance at all. A simple example would be if I put water in a glass and I dump half the water out, the glass, the rest of it fills with air because you got to have something there. The, nature prevents a vacuum or nothingness from happening. So what prevents Earth's atmosphere from just disp- dispersing into space? Well, NOAA, the National Oceanographic and Atmospheric Administration, Thankfully, they're there to help us on this, okay? They say, what prevents Earth's atmosphere from dispersing into space? The answer in a word is gravity. Fortunately for us, yeah, we're fortunate, Earth's gravity is strong enough to hold onto atmosphere. So this is gravity, and we're all, oh yeah, yeah. Let me tell you something, people. Gravity is a farce. Gravity was disproved over 100 years ago. There's no such thing as gravity. It's part of their imaginational myth. It's all about density, okay? So gravity's holding this atmosphere to the earth, and then it just stops, and you've got a vacuum. But if I take a helium balloon and let it go, where's it going? Why doesn't gravity keep it down like everything else? It keeps this atmosphere down. How come it can't keep the balloon down? <laughs> Listen, people, it's pure nonsense, but everybody believes it. And again, this whole idea of gravity was disproved over 100 years ago, but people don't know that because nobody talks about it. So gravity holds Earth's atmosphere in place to a certain degree. Then you move into a vacuum. So you have atmosphere and vacuum side by side. 
Really? Is there any science, anything scientific about that at all? No, it violates every gas law we have along with the law of entropy. It violates every law we know about this stuff. Gas have to have a container to hold them in. But gravity does it for us. It's magical force called gravity. So why push this so hard? Why do they stick this ball in our face and make up all this nonsense? Why do they do that? Why lie to us? Well, my understanding of it would be they're trying to hide God. They're trying to discredit the Bible. Okay? Because this is just a big bang. Okay? We don't need God for that. But I'm telling you what, if you've got a flat earth and you've got a dome over top of it, that kind of ends the Big Bang Theory. Okay? That dome, as David said, gives glory to God. Psalm 19, 1, the heavens declare the glory of God. The dome above proclaims His handiwork. Now, <clears throat> my goal this morning is not to convince you that the earth is flat. I think the Bible alone should do that. Okay? My goal is to make you question what you have been taught about cosmology. My goal is to make you question everything. Trust your senses. See, we've been just taught to don't believe what you see. I mean, when you're outside, you feel like you're going 1,000 miles or 800 miles an hour in Virginia Beach. You feel that wind? That's, that's moving pretty good, right? Trust your senses. Water does not bend. Okay? Around a ball. There's no magical force separating atmosphere from vacuum. All these things are counterintuitive, all right? Bottom line here is this. Science does not trump the Bible. And if you think it does, you have a problem, okay? Because the Bible tells us that Yeshua walked on water. Let me see science duplicate that for us. Science will say, you can't do that. He did it. Peter walked on water. Yeshua teleported the whole boat to shore. Science going to do that? None of this stuff, okay? So if you, you have a choice, I guess, if you say, I just trust science, well then, again, science, most things that claim to be science are pseudoscience. Trust God. His word is truth. So here's what I'm asking you to do. Don't reject this. Don't accept this. Study this. Be a Berean. Do some research. I'm gonna, I have in my notes here, I have a couple links for videos that go into a lot greater depth than I've done here. They don't deal so much with the Bible. They're just dealing with you know, signs and what you can see from, from the natural world. And Jeff, if you will, put these links into the video description so people can look up these things and hopefully study it out further. Because I just think we need to do some research here. Again, the big lie, how many things, how many things have we been lied to about? It's... It's simply amazing. All right, let's pray. Father, I thank you for your grace to us, Lord. I thank you for the word of God. Lord, please forgive us for bowing before the high priests of science. And help us to trust you, to believe your word, even if it's counterintuitive, even if we don't understand. Lord, you made this world, and you told us how you did it, and you told us what it consists of. May we trust you. Thank you, Father, for your grace to us. Amen. Okay.
We're going to have questions now. <laughs> I assume there might be a question or two, right? Uh, we got some time because we've got food coming in here. There's a gap, you know, on the left side, so it's not a continuous wall then? I think it is a continuous wall. Jordan, can you hear me? No. Garrett, you got his audio up? (laughs) Mr. Science himself is joining us this morning. There you go. All right. I got to do this full screen. Where's the full screen thing? We're going to have questions now. I can't see you, but I can hear you. Okay. We got some time because we've got food coming in here. Okay, there we go. We can see you, Jordan. You can't hear it? You can hear me. I can hear you, but I can't see you. That's okay. You don't need it. You know what I look like. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks. Hang on, let me turn your uh, live stream off. All right, thanks. Thanks, Jordan, for joining us today. I, I had him come to help us with question and answer because... This guy, he's got some understanding. It's funny, about, I don't know, a couple years ago, he texts me and he sends me a video of Flat Earth. He says, what do you think of this? And I laughed and I sent back and said, I've been Flat Earth for over five years. But this guy dove into it full steam and, I mean, he just, he understands things about it that I, he tries to explain to me and I'm like, I don't even know what you're saying. It's, you know, but so I want him to help us because I know there's questions about this. Now, Sharon, you were asking about the ice wall. There's some places where it's, it's like a peninsula's come out and stuff, and you can get on it. It's not that high, but if you go back, it still gets high. But this thing is just, yes, it's around it. And they've circumnavigated it a couple times, and it's taken them four years. So, like, there's ex, there was two different expeditions that people did that took them around it. David? Yeah, I was going to bring that up because we've talked about this in the past. What were, the, what were those expeditions? Because then you have... Weren't the, uh, the admirals or whatever, they had to reckon so many miles a day because they couldn't find an entrance right. or around us or something? What were, the yeah, names? what were the names of those expeditions? Jordan, you remember those expeditions, what they were called? Wasn't that Captain Cook? I don't, I don't remember what they were. I know there were two different people that did it, and you know they went around, but like I said, it shocked them because they thought, we'll get around this continent, and it took them four years, and they are like, hmm, yeah. this is I a big continent. Captain- yeah, I think it was Captain Cook, but I, I haven't looked into that stuff as much. Gary? So they were able to get around it? Yes, because um, it's, yeah. I mean, but it wouldn't be a nice wall. It wouldn't go all the way around the flat earth. And they would be at some point near Asia and another point near... They'd come right back to where they were. Yeah. Yeah, that's what they did. So can you ask Jordan if he's hearing the questions from the audience? Yeah, Jordan, can you hear questions when the people are talking? I, I, yeah, I can hear pretty pretty well. Okay, good. I'll try to repeat them. Um, anybody else before I go to online here? Well, go ahead. Uh, just as somebody mentioned to me a few weeks ago, we were talking about this, that Admiral Byrd had actually seen the other side of the ice wall and that it was apparently green and Lovely and whole bit. Okay, what Sharon was talking about, Admiral Byrd, when he got back, did a news interview, and they were, you know, interviewing him, and he said, out there, he says, there's a land bigger than the United States, full of resources, all these, and so what is he talking about? Well, there's different views on this, you know, I showed you that model of flat earth, some believe that our little encircled thing is under the dome, but the dome is much bigger, and there's other lands under the dome, 
And so they think Bird was talking about on the other side, and that would fit what Enoch was saying, you know, about these animals and creatures that they'd never seen on the other side of that ice wall. I don't know about that. I hear those views. Again, I don't know Bible to support that, so I'm, you know, I'm not there. But Jordan, you heard any about that stuff? Where are you at on that? Yeah, um, again, I haven't. That just kind of got me peaked on stuff with the Admiral Byrd stuff, and then I went down through more like the, the disproof type stuff. But um, from what I remember, the lands he saw was actually, I know some of it was actually North Pole related. He, he said something about seeing green, and, you know, it looked completely different once he got to a certain location, and that's why people, I mean, you see all kinds of maps, and people say, oh, that's where the Garden of Eden was really, you know, the center right. North Pole, quote-unquote, under Polaris. And the thing is, we... I mean, we don't know. I mean, unless you go there yourself and try to figure it out, and there's so many limitations to travel, right? Um, so I, I try to stick with just the stuff that's easy to kind of disprove instead of like, it's fun to speculate. I just don't know. Imagination, brother. That's what it's all about. <laughs> oh, man. I was smiling big when you posted that. <laughs> I love but, it. but that's, I mean, I just want to say something real quick before, I mean, if, if you don't mind, like, go ahead. You did an awesome. I mean, it was great. Um, Thank you. The whole the whole point, at least what I'm trying to do is, like, it's like my mission in life. I don't know why to like just get people to think and ask questions. And same thing you do, but do it on the secular side of things too, right? Not just scripture. Like, you have to ask, how do you know that? And when you go back and start reading these primary source material, it's laughable. Like, you start realizing that these are stories people make up, and and it's almost admitted. I mean, I'm reading a book right now called The Sun and the Church, and it's how the Catholic Church would dominate astronomy for the main purpose of fi- trying to fix the date of Easter. Well, they go into the <laughs> Copernicus thing, and they go into Galileo, and you realize that, that they just make it up by, like, seeing lights in the sky. They can't touch them. They don't know what they are. And they go back to these old philosophical ideas that, oh, those are spheres in the sky held together by geometric solids that, you know, Aristotle believed in. And, and so they map off this stuff based on imagination, and none of it – I could come up with a thousand stories that equally explain those events. And that's what modern-day pseudoscientist parrots, because I see this every day online, they think that as long as you have a story to explain something, that that's, that's what science – and then if I have to come along and give a new story in, in order to disprove theirs – that's not how it works. I don't. It's not my burden of proof to give you a new story. They have to prove their claims, and people don't grasp this. But I see it every day online. Say, no, you need to give me a new model, or else I'll keep my model. It's like, but your model is not based on reality. You have to actually prove the things you say. So we all have to be critical thinkers and be able, willing to go back and look at this stuff and go, how do you know that? That was never proven. You have to show me this, this, and this to get here. And we don't do it. And Christians are some of the worst at parroting nonsense. And I don't know why. Uh, it just, it's, it's, it's really bothered me the last few years. And I used to, I guess, be guilty of it as well in a lot of ways, you know. And so I, I feel like we have to just be more critical and not buy this stuff. But it's because it's called science. And you did an awesome job breaking down science versus pseudoscience. Because most of the stuff that's called science is not. In fact, there's very little real science that's probably ever been done. And it may be impossible because you can't know all the variables. You know, right. we can do some macro level stuff. But anyway, I just wanted to throw that out there that this is all about just to get people asking questions. 
and don't use logical fallacies to support your beliefs. That's all I see from the globe side. I will ask their questions. Give me measured curvature. They'll point to stars in the sky and how they behave. They'll point to a horizon. I go, so what? That's not, you have to give me measured curvature. The horizon is not earth curve. We've already been debunked that using your own math, right? Like they use the affirming the consequent fallacy every single time. And that we don't do that. If you're a Christian and you're out there arguing for some of this stuff, but you're being fallacious, you need to check yourself and not do that. <laughs> Amen. Sorry. It's <laughs> all right. David? I don't know that this really proves anything, but, you know, I always tell folks, you know, watch the moon. Because if we're spinning at whatever rate of speed, how is it that we always perfectly line up with the moon that we only ever see the one side? Because watch the moon. You know, it it always looks the same. You know, that's why they have the dark side of the moon. (laughs) <laughs> you know, and it's like, why do we never, how, do, how do, in spinning, how do we always perfectly line up that we never see the quote-unquote dark side of the moon, and why do we see it in the middle of the day sometimes? You know? Well, the moon is a light, and behind it's the black part that holds the light in, you know. <laughs> I watch the moon all the time because it's, the moon is alone fascinates me, you know, because of it giving light and stuff like that, and like I say, it just—it never changes. It's always—it's right. always the same. And I try to get people to explain to me how is that possible. Do you get any explanation? No. <laughs> Gary, um, just to understand it a little, maybe the so everything, flights and space—not space. Real. There is no space. Yeah, there is space, but yeah. mostly between the ears. Yeah, there's space um, between people's ears. That's about it. <laughs> that all takes place. All the flights and everything takes place in this atmosphere, and satellites, the GPS satellites or whatever. Not they should be FPS satellites. I don't believe flat satellites. Flat Earth satellites. I think they're balloons. Satellites are on balloons. There's no. There's no space. So there's, yeah, no, there's no vacuum. There's no vacuum of space. We'd be dead. Yes. Mm-hmm. Jordan, go into that a little bit about gases and we have to be in a container. Explain that a little better. Yeah, I mean, it's every every gas law we have, I mean, the, literally the very definition of gas pressure is the pressure exerted on the walls of a container. That's the definition. I mean, even NASA has that. Um, gas expands to fill space. That's just what it does. It doesn't stick to the earth. In fact, all these people say, they say it's being pulled down from where? How did it get high to be pulled down? It, right? It goes up. And then they think it just gets to this magical line and they, these gas particles, whatever they are, burn their bras and say, no, they're not going any further, man. It's so absurd, but they, they claim gravity. Gravity's not a force. Gravity's never been proven to exist, first of all, but the idea that gravity's a force was falsified 108 years ago by Einstein, who came up with the new gravity, which is the bending and warping of space-time, which is also a story. But this idea that gravity's a force is not taught in higher-level physics. But it has to stay in the narrative because that's how you have bending water and that's how you have gas staying next to a, a vacuum, right? It, right? You have to have that story so they get in like a, a conundrum. But gases don't do that. I don't go to the, the tire shop and ask for somebody to put air around my wheel. I, ha- I need a tire, right? I need a container for that. Um, you know, that's just, that's what we know. That's natural law as far as we know it. I'm not saying God could not have made it a different way up there. The burden of proof is on the people claiming we live next to a near-infinite vacuum. 
So this idea of satellites in quote-unquote orbital motion, orbits, is a begging the question fallacy. Nobody's proven orbits because you have to show that you have a sphere with a radius value that we've already debunked based on the you know, observations. So the radius is gone. Well, they base all their supposed orbital math on the radius of Earth. That's how they claim to get all their math to work. That's how they get the, the quote-unquote distance to the sun. They assume the radius of Earth. They assume Venus is a planet like Earth. They assume Venus has the same size radius. They then use Kepler's third law of motion to get scaling values to claim the sun's 93 million miles away. It's, it's all based on nonsense. It's, none of it is validated at all. You have to start with a radius value, and we don't have it. And that's why I always ask people, give me how you measure the radius of the Earth. Just tell me. And they'll start pointing to sticks and shadows and people measuring angles. I'm like, angle measurements? Angles require a flat plane. Like, what are you smoking? <laughs> <laughs> you, got, you got to have a flat baseline for that. I can, I can take angle measurements of light in my living room, and the further I get away, the angles change. Does that mean my floor is a sphere? Of course it doesn't. But that's the extent of the logic people use, and I see Christians do that, and that's, that's terrible. Like, if you don't understand what a begging the question fallacy is and affirming the consequent then you're in a lot of trouble and you're going to keep parroting stuff you've heard. Anyway, I know I went off on a tangent, but <laughs> the whole idea of satellites in space, show me these satellites. Have you ever seen? We should be able to, to see all these things, real-time photos, if there's space junk up there circling around all the time. It's just not well, there. Well, it's amazing. All the CGI photos they show us, you never see satellites yeah. in them. Yep. I mean, if it's, you're going to do a CGI, put some satellites there because there's exactly. thousands of them, they a, say. Yeah. Get on Google Earth, and you're claim, that's claimed to be a satellite view. You should, you should see something down below <laughs> you, right? Like, right. You know, see a bunch of airplanes and all kinds of stuff up there. It's just nonsense, but we just buy it because people go, well, I saw a satellite. I saw a light streaking across the sky. It's like, you saw a light streaking across the sky. <laughs> so you have to separate what you see effect from the claimed cause. And this applies to space talk. This applies to virus nonsense. This applies to... Chemistry nonsense, like these effects are real. The story you're being given has to be validated. You have to separate the two in your head, and most people can't do that. So the phenomena is the light in the sky. The That's hypothesis right. is they just make something up. Well, a hypothesis means that you could determine the cause of that light in the sky right. by manipulating it, which... Obviously, you can't do. You so can't. Right. that's why astronomy and astrophysics are not science. They're not natural sciences. Because you, even if you have phenomena, you can't very manipulate the, the cause to know the cause, right? So you're done. You're, you're, you're cut off right there. So that's another good heuristic that people need to learn to use is always ask, okay, you're claiming it's science. What's your observed phenomenon? If they don't have one, okay, we're done. If they do have one, then you go to step two. Okay, what's your proposed cause for that phenomenon? And then you go, okay, cool. Does that cause exist in reality? Like, you know, oh, that's a photon hitting an electric plate. Oh, really? Show me a photon. <laughs> it, it's so absurd. Like, you're done there. Nobody. Well, that's, that's the best explanation I can get. I don't care. I could come up with all kinds of stories. Like I tell people, if I want to tell you that the rain is created because unicorns are urinating in the sky, I could do that. And then they go, well, how do you prove it? And I go, see, there's, there's rain coming down. That, that proves my model. It's so absurd. We all go, that's stupid. But that's, that's what they do. It's no different. So you have to be able to spot that kind of stuff. And that's why I asked Jordan to join me. <laughs> <laughs> Gary? So in the dome, your existence in the dome, where do asteroids and comets come from? Shooting stars. Yeah, shooting stars. You got a theory on that, Jordan?
lights in the sky, man. Yeah, I mean, again. I know that's the thing. They they say you know these things are coming near Earth and they're going to knock us out of orbit and all no, this nonsense. Never been it, seen. Never been seen. And they claim that what Siberian asteroid or whatever that or meteorite that supposedly knocked out all this forest. Nobody saw it at the time. It was 20 years later. They found some damage or something in the woods, and they claimed it was from a meteor from space. It's like it's just a story. Um, but again, even if there were things falling down, okay, great. So what? Yeah. <laughs> you're gonna store like that's all you got, right? Like you can't just assume their narrative is true. And I think people we're so stuck to that. And I was. I mean, I grew up loving Star Trek and, and Star Wars and all the space stuff. I mean, I was a NASA fiend as a kid. <laughs> and so, but it, it never added up to me. I remember reading these books and they'd point to these so, supposed galaxies and they'd say this is this far away and you're seeing light from a billion years ago. And it's like that doesn't. What? Like, that doesn't make sense. You know, there were just certain things that didn't add up. And now that you realize that light speed and all this stuff is nonsense, you can't measure a speed of light. You don't even know if light has a speed. <laughs> nobody, knows what, nobody knows what light is. Um, you, we don't see light. We see things lit up. We see things. We don't see light. So you, you can't claim to study light if you can't manipulate it, right? You can manipulate the thing that causes it. You can turn on a light bulb, right, an electromagnetic device, and then you see the wall or you see things. But... You, you've inserted this thing between called photons that don't exist. And so that's what they do is they squeeze in these imaginary variables between, you know, we're talking about man-made tech, right? Between your what you do and the effect, they'll squeeze in all these stories. And so, again, that's a tangent. But, yeah, you, the dome stuff, like, the minute you start thinking of things in, in terms of biblical cosmology and you look up at the sky at night, you're going to look at it a completely different way, and it's, it's amazing. You look at all those stars and you think... I don't know what those are. Those may not even be physical objects. They may be holograms. They may be uh, the apartment lights of, of angels living up there. You know, I have to make up a story about it, but it's really amazing to think about the beauty of it all being contained right there. This idea that the sun is whatever, 93 million miles away, and yet the heat comes. It's so, it's so absurd. It's, yeah. Whatever the thing is, it's, it's probably close. If it's physical at all. I don't know if it's a physical object. I have no idea. We had light. Like you said, you have light and darkness before the sun and the moon. So for all I know, those suckers are markers of the day and night. They're not the cause of day and night, right? So you have to start thinking about that stuff in different ways. <laughs> Jordan make us question everything. <laughs> good. That's good, Jordan. Appreciate it. Go ahead, Jeff. Just um, so NASA's been around, whatever, 50, 60, 78 years, whatever, thousands and thousands of employees, but never has anybody ever come forward and said, it's a bunch of bunk. I mean, what? or they're not allowed to tell about it. But, I mean, why? Are they just being paid? or Why are, they, why are engineers doing all this stuff for nothing? Are they just, oh, let's just go get paid for nothing? I mean, are there that many people just that gullible to work in that career? I, see, I hear that argument a lot. If this is a conspiracy, how many people would have to be in on it? Nope. Uh, how many people were in on the conspiracy of wearing masks? Right. Nobody. You believed it. Right. That's all it takes. Take right. Belief. Yeah. And, and far as people that work at NASA, I think there's all kinds of explanations for, you know, this, why they keep quiet. They're paid to keep quiet. They sign an agreement. The astronauts Mostly. knew and they wouldn't yeah. talk about it. You know, they knew, but they kept their mouth shut. And also, you know, I think this is the whole deep state thing, this all this junk that they're trying to make us believe. And they threaten people's lives and people die. I mean, Admiral Byrd, a year afterwards, he's dead. And I don't you know why. Why? So maybe he. Yeah. <laughs> It's the Clintons question, killed him. It's a good question, but it's a real <laughs> right. You can't 
You can't. It doesn't matter why. It's like asking why would the government lie. It's, right. It's, it's, yeah. It's why would the government lie? I mean, that's what they do, right? Like <laughs> this, idea that, this idea that everybody's in on it, lying. No. Um, the the people sitting in those rooms in NASA, they're being fed crap on a screen that they think's going real. They're literally just seeing data. And then when somebody tells them, we touched down on Mars, they literally scream like little idiot children <laughs> in, in fantasy tips. It, it is, it's true. It's very sad. But that's what they're doing. They're not seeing anything land on a quote-unquote planet in outer space. They're getting data. And then you'll, they've interviewed people about that, and it's all about the data, the data, the data. It's like, where's the data coming from? They can't verify that. Right. They have no idea. Somebody somewhere is lying for whatever reasons, probably for giant money laundering reasons. Yeah. But the astronauts... Those idiots up there that they claim are in that ISS that you can watch videos and see right. them on wires. You can literally see the wires. Right. See, them tug at them, see them blending into the background with the green screen. Those are liars. Those are actors. Right. There's, there's no doubt about that. So there are liars involved. But this idea that, oh, it's just grand, everybody's in on it. No, it doesn't have to be like that. It's like the virology thing. Those people aren't even in on anything. They're just stupid. And I'm sorry. <laughs> They, they are because they believe their methods. I interact with these people all the time, and they have no substantiation for what they believe. They just, well, this is the way we do it, and this is how it is. It's like, but you have to show me the science of it. And if you read the older papers, you realize all this stuff started as ideas in people's minds, and that's where the cosmology was Imagination. all. Imagination. Imagination. Let me get a couple of these questions in I got here. Well, this isn't a question, just uh, from Doug. He says, the sermon was bold, brilliant, and beautiful. <laughs> Thank you, brother. May God's eagle soar for truth. Thank you, Doug. Appreciate your comments there. All right, let me get, whoa, get some of these. Holy mackerel. A lot of questions here. David, what a great message. My friend told me, and it took me three years to finally get it. Everything we've been told is a lie. NASA, Satan, all, all these lies. Yes, amen, brother. They're, we've been lied to a whole lot from a lot of people. Please send me the information link. Is it Zoom meeting? Thank you. I, I don't know what that even means. but Someone, I don't know who this is from, but they say, you make a good point um, that, that have troubled me for decades. But why would they lie about the Earth's cosmology? Well, I told you why I think they lied. I think they're trying to hide God. Right, it's all all a thing to disprove God. And like I said, when you hear people like Heiser saying, "Well, the Bible does teach us, but science just right. you just you just destroyed the Bible." Right. You just destroyed yep. it. Employees to go along with it. Mm. I can tell you, as a government employee, it ain't that hard. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, because every Friday the shipyard puts out this stupid update from the CDC on how dangerous COVID is for the week. And if the CDC considers Portland, Virginia, to be a high-risk area, then the shipyard implements all their mask mandates again, and everybody puts. And I, and I told him, I said, so we're required to wear a, a full-face respirator when we're painting mm-hmm. or working with hazardous materials or anything like that, but a piece of paper over our face protects us <laughs> from a virus. <laughs> yeah, it makes perfect sense, right? All right, someone else says, good morning. Very refreshing, Dave. It's great to know that our God is, is the creator with Yeshua and all the earth and the universe belongs to him. P.S. Enjoyed the charts and photos. I think I'll stir up a little trouble with Facebook friends. Amen. <laughs> 
Amen, brother. Yes, we need to do that. We need to get out and we need to shake it up. From Norm, do you realize that you've really done it this time? (laughs) My wife does, Norm. Because of your relentless pursuit of the truth and finding it, you have put a bullseye on your back and disturbed the young followers of BBC to think, not to worry. Yahweh has done it through you because it's about time. Forget about it. You know, it's, it's just amazing. I mean, people are waking up to this truth all the time. Um, okay, this is from... Wow, where do we start? Uh, a podcast I enjoy is a math guy on Rumble called P. Gunnels. He did a very good mathematical, mathematical explanation for why the earth is not round. Yes. I have to find it for you. I'm not there yet because I've seen the curve when flying at 51,000 feet. I don't think you did because there isn't one. But I admit I'm investigating. I hate to be the devil's advocate, but I take off and I fly west across the U.S. If I keep going, I end up back where I took off from. How do you explain that? Nobody's nobody's done that flight, first of all. And that assumes you're flying in a straight line. Secondly, you wouldn't see the curve left to right from a window in a plane. Where would that curve meet if you trace it to the front of the plane? Because if you look to your left, you see the curve too. So is it coming down into a giant valley in front of the plane? Like that's that's not how it works. Even if there were curvature, it would the Earth would curve away in the same amount from every direction that you're on. So you wouldn't see left to right curvature unless you're like literally viewing the whole quote unquote planet. So this whole left to right curvature from a plane, even Neil deGrasse Tyson. The great magician says you won't even see it at 250,000 feet. So no, nobody's seeing the curve from the plane. When windows in planes are curved, right? So you have to take that into account. But there's no curvature, right? We we can use the math that they give us, right? One one point two times the square root of the observer's height and feet. That'll show you how far to the horizon. That can be blown away by a factor of 20, which would put the Earth radius at 250,000 miles big which destroys everything. Like, it's just, it's not there. It's falsified. People just have to accept it. Patrick Gunnels gets the math. He's very good at explaining the trigonometry of how they get those measurements and what's supposed to be seen, quote-unquote. So, yeah, he's, he gets it. Okay, here's a question for you, Jordan. What is the explanation for the different astronomical skies in the northern and southern hemisphere? If the Earth was flat, wouldn't we see all the same night skies, stars, constellations, etc.? That makes no sense at all. What, why would you see the same things if well, the Earth is big? I, I don't even see the end of the freaking alley at Home Depot. Like, <laughs> it, it's, absurd, it's absurd. This idea that you'd see forever on a flat plane. Right, okay, good. It's, it's so I'm sorry, I'm, I don't mean to be mean, but just like, <laughs> this idea, the sky is moving, right? The stars all move from east to west. They'll go, they move the opposite direction in the south. No, you turned around. <laughs> They're all moving east to west. Lights in the sky are moving east to west, all of them. They're not rotating in separate directions. You, you change directions. So I hate that argument. <laughs> well, that's the thing. Your eyes have a vanishing point. You can only see so far, and then that's it. That's right. It disappears. Right. Go in a hallway and stand in the hallway, a long hallway, and you look at the end, it looks like it disappears. It all comes down to a dot. The hallway hasn't moved. You just your eyes can't, you know. So we're... Someone else says, praise the Lord. 
Someone has the guts to speak the truth. I believe this for years. God bless you. Thank you, brother. I appreciate it. I know there's a lot of people out there that believe this. Nancy on the farm. We have a pilot friend that says, in the sky, flying a jet can see the Earth's curve. Yeah, okay, we just talked about that. Um, Rick Carter. And they, don't, and they don't adjust for it either. They don't nose down constantly in jets to try to stay level and not fly off into quote-unquote space. That doesn't happen. They fly nose up. Planes have to fly nose up to stay in the air. They don't okay. adjust down to the curve. All right, Jordan, you got this one. Why, does, why do snipers have to use a parabolic method in their calculations for long shots? Coriolis effect he's talking about. They, they don't. Uh, you, can talk, <laughs> you can talk to actual snipers, and they'll tell you they don't. It's in their training manuals that they're supposed to do that. Here's the deal. If you have to account for the earth turning under a bullet, you have to account for the earth turning under anything else that's slower than a bullet. You could get in a helicopter, hover, and your destination would come to you. That doesn't happen. Coriolis effect is not real on the Earth. It is a real effect. Coriolis effect is an artificial effect. It's a perceived deviation. If you're standing on a turning reference frame, something else is traveling over you in a straight line that appears to travel in a curve. That would happen if you were on a roundabout or a merry-go-round and somebody threw a ball over it. You would, you're turning under it, and so you would look like the ball curved. In reality, it's going straight. That's the Coriolis effect. Coriolis effect has logical consequences, meaning helicopters, air balloons, anything that goes off the turning reference frame of the Earth, the Earth would spin underneath it. That doesn't happen. It would also mean flights from west to east would be different than flights from east to west dramatically. doesn't happen. People don't like that answer, but it's the truth. Those are logical antecedents, right? Like the, the logical consequence, I guess, actually, of Coriolis claims would be the Coriolis cause. The Coriolis cause would be the Earth turning under the air, when you point out to people that it doesn't happen, they say, oh, the Earth and the, and the atmosphere, quote-unquote, move as one. Okay, so there's no Coriolis then, right? You can't have it both ways. Snipers aren't accounting for anything like that. They do account for other things like wind and, <laughs> and the distance from their target, right? Like, and the way the bullet spins when it comes out of the barrel. But the Earth is not turning under things underneath. Also, just so people know this, you can take a drone, hover it, it's not, not attached to the Earth anymore. Then do a time lapse of the stars, right? Guess what happens? They all still spin in perfect circles, which means they're not moving because we're turning under them. They're, the sky is actually moving. So, anyway. What do I do with that, Jeff? <laughs> you got a timer, man. Uh, I don't know. It's a free bird. You only get 40 minutes. <laughs> okay, here's a here's a question, Jordan. Let's get this in because I think it's a good one. What causes tides without gravity? There's no such thing as gravity. Tides are tides. If it was gravity, you'd see all kinds of absurdities on lakes and freshwater bodies too. That's yeah, isn't that isn't that interesting? That tides only affect salt water. Yeah, it's, it's it's just a story. Again, separate the story from what actually is the claim. Tides are real. Gravity's a fiction. You have to show me. <laughs> gravity show me the force show me the measure it's not a force anymore anyway so it's out of date people are keep parroting the mass attracts mass thing and it's just it's out of date 108 years you gotta you gotta pick one you know but we don't know what causes the tides i mean it's just the claim that it's this force of the moon that's pulling things and all it's it's absurd and this idea that the moon is locked in close to the earth while the sun's pulling it too y'all ever played tug of war like somebody wins Right? If they're pulling stronger. So, yeah, this, this idea that we're all spinning around giant black hole masses and stuff that's sucking us in, 
bending of space-time. Space-time is a concept. It's not a thing. Nobody can show you space-time. It's not a physical thing. It's an idea. So you have to stop believing this stuff was proven. People just hear it in movies, and they say, oh, it, it must be true because some smart guy figured it out. No, Einstein was a lunatic. Einstein dreamt of <laughs> riding a lightning wave and like had all this imagination. People now will literally say, if you take an atomic quote-unquote clock on an airplane and it loses a little track of time, that proves the bending of space-time. Like, no, it proves your clock got a little out of whack. <laughs> clocks, don't, clocks don't track with time. Clocks are calibrated to time. Right? Like, it, that's how stupid people are. And I'm sorry, it's just absurd. You just have to think about this stuff. It, it's not hard if you just dive in and go, wait, what? Like, that's all you got to do most of the time is go, explain that to me a little better. You know? <laughs> yeah. so, someone says, have you seen the video of Buzz Aldrin, the astronaut, stating that we've never been to the moon? Yes, I have seen that. He himself has said, we've never been there. But people don't believe him because what does he know? Yeah, it was all, it's all movie. I mean, most people nowadays actually don't believe the moon landings were real. That not even, I mean, even people that still believe in the globe and all that, they don't buy the moon. I mean, it's, it's so obvious now when you go back and examine all that, that those were faked badly. Um, I mean, I, I saw that in 2010, and I still bought all the heliocentrism stuff. So, Well, like that, I said, when I stood at the museum and stood there 10 feet away from this thing, and I'm like, Something wrong with me, or the, I would never go anywhere in that thing. I mean, literally, it would explode in a vacuum chamber. It would explode. I mean, that, that's what happens when you put things like that pressurized, thin walled in a vacuum. They they explode. So yeah, none, none of it's true. Well, I know it's just a bunch of nonsense. Yeah. All right, folks. Wait, I thought I saw another question that I wanted. To, there's just so much. Okay, here's uh, we can answer this. How is the how is it that the sun rises in the east and sets in the west if we're not rotating? It doesn't rise and set; it just circles around. And again, your eyes can only see so far, so the sun disappears and it gets dark. It comes back around; it circles around inside that dome. Jordan, will you agree with that? Or yeah, I mean, I don't I don't know the exact movement of it, but if you go further north, you can see the sun. It never right in certain times of the year; it, it just circles overhead. That's what it does. Right. And then if it's changing its circuit, we don't know what the sun is. Again. People ask these questions with the assumption that the sun is a certain size, a certain distance, that it's a giant burning ball of gas in a vacuum, which is impossible. <laughs> um, right? Like, it's, it's just they believe all these layers, and, that, and then they ask the one question, and they don't understand, like, it's all of it. It's all nonsense. So you have to understand that. I don't make any positive claims on what the sun is. I have no idea if it's a physical object. I have no idea how it moves, how it works. None of that. But the idea that you would see it at all times is insane. Like we see in a, we, our eyes actually see a circle, like a dome. That's how we view things in a dome. And what's interesting, just because I want people to understand this if they don't get anything, the model of the sphere Earth was reified, meaning it was made up from the model of the dome of the heavens, okay? They took flat Earth angle measurements to Polaris. Those are using a flat baseline, and then they, as they moved away from Polaris, Polaris would drop due to perspective. That's how you get your latitude lines. If you look up the celestial sphere models, you literally see the flat plane and then this dome of stars. Well, what did they do? They took the dome of the stars and all those angles, turned that into the ground, and put you at the center of the Earth taking those measurements. 
Nobody stands at the center of a ball taking angles to start. You stand on a flat plane doing it. And that's how celestial navigation works. It's done by Cartesian coordinates using flat angle measurements. So you can look up how sextants work and all that. But they just took an idea of this, how you see things with angles, and they put that as the ground. And, and they hoodwink people for whatever reason. I don't know. I think they just thought they were being smart. I don't know. Well, we're going to wrap this up. Uh, Jordan, because the computer's about to cut off on us. I didn't know we had yeah. a time limit here. But, Jordan, thanks so much for being with us. I really appreciate it, brother. Uh, I think you. it was very helpful. Thanks, Jordan. It was awesome. All right, he brother. We'll see you later. Let's, um, let's close in prayer here. Father, we thank you for the opportunity just to be together today. I thank you for Jordan coming and helping us to understand these things better. Father, may we truly be Bereans and search for the truth, to try to understand what is actually happening, what we're actually seeing. Thank you, Lord, for your grace to us. Father, we thank you for the food that's being brought to us. Thank you for providing so much for us in this country. We love you. Amen.